Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. Good evening, everybody. This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell. Um, I wanted to begin with this, and this is not an attempt to gain brownie points with anyone, nor is this a pat on my back or a toot of the horn. Um, I've been over the last year. I've been developing as a figure in sports media, and it has challenged me really more as a man than as a young professional in this industry. And uh, and part of that growth is social awareness and being the best member of society that I can be. And what I've noticed more than anything that I think can be simply uh, affected and changed just by reassessing how we think is the dismissal of the qualifications of women when it comes to discussing sports on social media. And so I set out this season with the goal of helping showcase that there's nothing that limits the capacity for women to have an educated uh, intelligent and enlightening opinion or conversation about sports. And to showcase that, there's only really one great way to ensure that I can get that point across, and that is to offer my platform to, uh, to women for that, uh, and to have an opportunity to express themselves. And so um, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about who I wanted to open up the season with, and there's no one more engaging and resilient and intelligent right now um, in Philadelphia who is a female um, who has a personality who, who, who I could hold a conversation with for a long time and really feel like I'm adding content than Jessica Town. Jessica, um, we've observed each other on social media for mm-hmm. a while now, uh, but it's great to finally talk to you, and it's a pleasure to have you on my show. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me, and and I really think that's awesome what you're what you're trying to do, and I I definitely agree. It's it's a difficult place to be, but I I love doing it, and um, I really appreciate you having me on, and actually you know kind of starting off the season with me as your guest. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, so, as I said, I've been in this for about a year, and uh, one thing that I that everyone's sort of told me that I've talked to who who's who's in this line of work. Everyone says it, and I've certainly experienced it and seen it with my own eyes. It's one of the most competitive fields that there is, and um, mm-hmm. no one really talks about it that way. Um, but people who don't really know it don't talk about it that way, I should say. And I always right. like to know how the people who I respect, how, how they got into it. So what got you into this crazy field that we're in? 
Yeah. So I mean, my whole life, I've always been interested in sports, into sports. I was never, you know, your, your typical athlete. I was a dancer. I was a cheerleader, but I was never, you know, my sister is an athlete. She plays field hockey. Um, my brother is an athlete. He played basketball and lacrosse. Um, and, and just kind of growing up, you know, my whole family, huge Philly sports fans. So, you know, the, the bonding experience with some of the men in my family was, you know, watching sports. I remember, coming home, my great grandfather had a beach house in Cape May. I remember I would come home every afternoon from the beach and we would sit and watch the Phillies together. Like that's just kind of how I grew up and watching the Eagles with my dad and things like that. And, you know, I always loved sports and, you know, my boyfriend's a football coach. He played football in college. So always kind of been around it in a, in a heavy way. And when I graduated, I started um, working as an executive recruiter, so spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. And I just kind of saw one day an ad for a social media administrator just for a, a beat website, but focused in Philly. Um, it kind of focused on Philly sports. And I kind of thought, oh, what the heck? You know, I, I love Philly sports. I'm super kind of in tune with everything. Like, this seems like it would be something fun to kind of do on the side. Um, and I applied, got that role, and, and did that for a little bit. And then um, it was actually right before the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, um, NBC Sports Group. Um, they did a conference call for some local media and no one was available to do that call of the writers that wrote for that website. So I um, kind of took it on, did that, got to you know ask a question and then was able to do a write up. And the editors of the website were actually really impressed and asked me if I wanted to kind of write um, more than just doing the social media. And I thought that would be really awesome. So I kind of started that. And then um, that website um, I, I moved to another website front with the uh, gentleman who gave me the job there, and I started writing, covering the Eagles for them. I was kind of writer number one there, um, and it just kind of helped me get my name out there a little bit, and um, through sharing my articles on Facebook and, and things like that, and Twitter, and kind of starting to gather a following, um, and I actually then joined um, with the podcast that was kind of associated with them as well. Um, the Madness, which I'm still on with my co-host Rob Lange. Um, And from there, we kind of started to build and build and build. And I kind of realized that's what I wanted to do and not necessarily being a reporter and breaking news and writing that way. But I, I love being able to share my opinion and um, stand by my opinion when it comes to sports and what I think about the different teams in the city. And um, that's kind of how I, how I got started. And then from there, I... Um, was still working on the podcast and still writing and having a couple different opportunities to um, be credentialed for a couple different events. And then I was actually reached out to by Bleeding Green Nation um, for me and Sam Wilson from uh, nice. The Fanatic to, to start up another podcast, which we just started yep. about a month ago, um, Babes on Broad. And, and that's kind of what I'm what I'm doing now and how I got into it. Babes on Broad, by the way, has grown sensationally very quickly. Um, yeah. And I, I am a fan. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of things that I noticed that I, and I wanted to ask you because my, cause I have, you know, my own experiences too. How terrifying is that first question that you ask when you're in, when you're, um, you know, when you're doing a, one of those uh, conference call you said, or you're in the immediate day, it is terrifying asking that first question. It is absolutely terrifying. And it was terrifying asking my first question ever for my first piece I would ever write. And I was asking that question to Tony Dungy right before the Eagles were about to go to the Super Bowl. It was terrifying. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely yeah. terrifying. But it it was one of those things that, you know, the the football fan in me was kind of realized how cool this can be. 
Um, and also, you know, it, it was a moment of, wow, I just asked Tony Dungy a question, but you know, then the opportunities from there kind of grew and it was, you know, the ability to be on conference calls with people like Brian Dawkins and, um, you know, different ones for different for the draft and things like that. And it, it just, it also forces you because there, you know, one of the other interesting things is, you know, I've been, I've pr- predominantly covered the Eagles with my writing and when I've been on these conference calls and when doing that you know, it's, it's football conference calls. So unless it's talking about specifically the Eagles in the Super Bowl, if it's a draft or they're talking about, you know, guys coming out of college or starting the season, no one cares about the Eagles nationally No, because they're, they're considered good now. So people only care about, you know, the top five teams in the draft, who they're going to take, how they're going to get better. So it's really interesting to listen to other people's questions and get a lot of information and then be one of the only few there for the Eagles. Yeah, and then you and then you spend so much time trying to think up like the best question that you could possibly think up, and in reality, it just it if you, something comes to mind, just ask it because no one's gonna bite you right. over it. Um, and then another thing that I that I I personally love as someone who's new to this is people love to dismiss you if a you don't have a check mark next to your name, you don't have yep. a number of you don't have two thousand or more followers, and you're not getting paid for it. Yeah, people don't realize that. You don't. They don't just hire anybody off the street. You have to. You have, you start somewhere very low key with 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 no resume, and then you you grind to get to that point where someone notices you. And all it takes is one person to notice notice you, as you've demonstrated. And right. it, it's 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 a long road that you have to be resilient enough to, to stay on to get to get to get to where you want to be in this industry. Absolutely, and you know something that you know, as cliche as it sounds, it's very difficult being a female in the industry as well, only because, Absolutely. you know, you see different TV shows and things like that, whether it be, um, you know, Skip and Shannon or, you know, whatever. The female Perfect. on the show, she's she's not there to give her opinion. She's there to mediate the questions. She's there as a pretty face. So it's very difficult to be taken seriously. And, you know, you'd like to think that not, you know, it's the world's more progressive and people don't just dismiss a female giving their opinion about sports, but you'd be surprised how many really do. And it doesn't help at all when, when, when a guy like LeVar Ball makes a, a comment towards Molly Karam and no one really, there, there, there's no repercussions for it. There's no, there's no public denouncement of it. It's just, you know, they, they move on from it and that's, and it's over. Exactly. Um, exactly. So two nights ago, uh, an asteroid hit Philadelphia uh, <laughs> as Ben Simmons made a 28 foot three uh, for his first three in the NBA, albeit preseason. Um, and the reaction was so emotional because I think we've turned Ben Simmons needing to shoot jump shots into one of the more, more most polarizing debates in sports, certainly mm-hmm. at the top of the NBA. Uh, do you think he will need to have a serviceable jump shot to become what we think he can become and lead the Sixers to a title? I think yes, but I think, I don't think, he needs to have one right now. I think that obviously we've seen that he's been working on it. And I think that and him taking the shot is what we should kind of base that on. So let's, let's, let's be honest here. Is he going to shoot 0%? No. If he's taking shots, he's not going to straight up shoot 0%. It's not going to happen. He just has to be confident in taking those shots. And I truly believe he can make them. I don't think you know, everyone always talks about how they want Joel and me to shoot less threes, but they want a guy who's an inch shorter than him to shoot more threes. It doesn't always make sense, um, you know, what people demand, but I think he should 
take them if they're there, but I don't want him to force the issue and force something that isn't going to work. It has to happen naturally. It needs to come naturally. But I do think for them to be able to be a contender for the next three to five years, he has to have a shot that a defense has to honor so they're not playing, you know, four on five on one end of the floor. Absolutely. And it, 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 what you said was was right where I am. What people don't realize, what fans don't realize, because I've, you know, I play basketball my entire life. I, mm. I've, I've, um, yeah, I've coached a little bit. I, I break down film all the time. And one thing people don't realize is that when you practice, you put the repetition in, you develop muscle memory where even if it doesn't look great, or if if you're if or if you're not, if you're having a bad night shooting from the field, mm-hmm. you you develop an ability to just simply rise up and make the shot. So he's not. You're absolutely right. If he just shoots the shots, he's not going to shoot zero percent. He's going to make more than we than we could even re- realize that he's going to make right. solely because he's practiced them so often. It's about having the confidence to get up there and actually do it. And when that happens, it's going to keep the defense honest. It's going to keep the help pinned back a little bit and it opens up the floor for everybody else. But I, I agree with you. He, he has to be able to do it. it. doesn't have to rush it. It has to be organic, like you said. But you got to be able – if this team is going to be the next Golden State Warriors, that's going to come in part, large part, to him developing that jump shot. Absolutely. And then, um, and then going off of, of that, because uh, I saw this – interesting article on Twitter today, uh, courtesy of Spike Eskin. Do you think everyone, whether they admit it or not, thinks that Ben needs to be able to shoot? I think they do. And, you know, even as someone who has defended Ben to the death, I've never wavered on the fact that he eventually does need to be able to shoot. But I just think people have blown it way out of proportion in the sense of he's 23 He's been on the floor for two full years. One of those, he won Rookie of the Year. The other one, he was an All-Star. His vision on the floor is unmatched for someone his age. The things he can do, the way he can play defense, you you have to let him get to that last spot organically. And people wanted to freak out last year, even though they chose to ignore the fact that Brett Brown openly said to start the season, you know, we didn't want to focus on him shooting. We wanted to focus on his leadership because they had this plan in place to he, they figured he was going to make an all-star team because he's that good. They knew they wanted to give him his extension this summer. And then comes the shooting. But it, like you said, it has to come organically. So all those other things already happen. And usually it's the shooting you have first and those other things come later. You add the shooting to that. And I think absolutely, I you know don't agree with Spike all the time. But in this one, I do think everyone thinks he needs to be able to shoot, whether they want to admit it or not. He does. As a point guard, you have to be able to shoot. But it had to, you know, I, I think people are really undervaluing the other skills and assets that he has as a player at such a young age because they focus on the fact that he, quote unquote, can't shoot or hasn't been willing to shoot over the last two years. And, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because, you know, I, you, I've defended the Philadelphia fandom to, to, to the death. I, I've written articles about it. I've, I've tweeted out about it a thousand times because people really aren't mm-hmm. fair with how they perceive us. Uh, and they expect that same fair treatment back. And that's not how that works. Um, but one of the most embarrassing things that, that we do in the city is we completely condescend and patronize everything else that he does in the name of mm-hmm. him not being able to shoot a jump shot. 
you would think that you would think that, that with the way that we talk about this, a lot of people talk about this kid is that he's a shooting guard who can't shoot. He is at 23, one of the most unbelievable talents I've ever seen, who is one step away from literally owning the NBA. Yes. And it's un, it's unbelievable how people just people are ready to trade him um, you know, because because he can't make a jump shot. And I always pose this to people when they when they when I talk about it. Were you not better at 26 at everything than you were at 23? It, it's if it, it, we all get better with age. Mm-hmm. He should, should he have a jump shot by now? He probably should have uh, developed something by now. But has he? No. So what's the point of dwelling on it? Um, but moving forward, there are other names on the team, believe it or not, than Ben Simmons. Uh, Shocking. Three, I know. The three big names uh, retained or added this summer were Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Josh Richardson. Which one will have the biggest impact on the team in 2019-20? Out of those three, I'm going to go Al Horford. Um, I really think he is easily the smartest player in the NBA, um, basketball IQ-wise, and I absolutely put that ahead of someone like LeBron and you know LeBron is one of the greatest the world has ever seen but I truly think the way that Al Horford thinks and attacks every team differently and is able to understand how the the best player whether it be uh, you know of the the four or five spot on a team how to be able to stop them because you know we the you know we've all talked about how Giannis was unstoppable, Joel Embiid's unstoppable. Well, there's one common factor who was able to stop those two, and one of them yeah. was just yep. the MVP, and that's Al Horford. He yeah. is yep. so unbelievably smart in the way that he moves, the way he switches, and I think that him being on the floor helps, his shooting helps, and being able to translate that information and the way that he thinks to a guy like Joel Embiid to help Joel see why he was able to stop him and also give him some of that information to help Joel stop Giannis, he is going to be the one that has the biggest impact. And you, you make a tremendous point because and, and, uh, one of my greatest, one of the greatest tests that really helps me see when, when I'm engaging with people, if they really understand basketball is when they say that, that, the Sixers got worse because they lost Jimmy Butler and only supplanted, um, you know, supplemented him with, with Al Horford. People, when, 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 you, when you say that, it shows that you don't watch a ton of the, of the game. Maybe you don't watch a lot of Celtics, mm-hmm. but you don't watch the game when, when it's available to you at a national level because Al Horford was consistently one, the Celtics' best player with Kyrie Irving on the court. Regardless of whether Kyrie yes. was there, he was the reason they won games because he's a leader. He does Everything that off off ball, on ball, stretches, passes, defense is unbelievable, and um, you know the, what they did this summer with adding him, they made a great wall that Giannis is going to have to kind of go through, and not and in order to get through that, he's got to do it in less than four games because if he doesn't, they lose the series. What they did, right. was they made a wall that is essentially indestructible, and I think it was brilliant the way that they. And the way that, that they went about rebuilding this team, having gotten rid of Covington, Sharich, um, Shamit, Picks, and having to get rid of Butler, and then refiguring out Harris, I thought Al Horford was the best case scenario through all of that drama. Um, I really think that he did. He that Elton Brand had an idea of exactly what he wanted yep. for this team, what he wanted this team's design to be, what he wanted this team's mo to be from a stats on the floor their whole ideals of how they attack the basketball game and what they look like on a lineup card. 
I think he knew exactly what he wanted and he just went out and got it, whether it be with Al Horford, Josh Richardson, a guy like Trey Burke, or even trading up and, you know, making a deal with the devil and to get Matisse Thibel. I think right. that all of that, you know, he had an idea in his head and he went out and got it in the, with the thought of, you know, this is how we stop the most dominant players in the NBA. And you're exactly right. Um, as part of, with my website, the Painted Lines, where I write and I podcast for, what we've done uh, actually really quickly was we got credentialed to cover the Sixers. And with that, my bosses who who cover them for the beat, they've forged relationships with, with the players, with the staff, with, with, with PR. And, uh, and one thing that we sort of learned off the record, um, I guess it doesn't really matter much now because Jimmy's gone, Jimmy committed to Miami in February. He was he was mentally and emotionally gone from Philadelphia in February, right? And so that that relationship was never going to work out. And when they got Tobias Harris, that was, you know, they made us think that oh, we're going to have this big four; it's going to work great. That was actually insurance because they because both te- both the Sixers and Jimmy Butler both knew that there was not a mutual interest in him coming back, and there was never a plan to really bring him back, regardless of what people say um, and Woj or whatnot. The fact of the matter is that they viewed him as a rental and he didn't view them as anything more than just a, a rescue mission from Minnesota for a season. Um, so I, I think both sides are very happy with, with, with how things turned out in the end. Um, and speaking of, of Jay, of Jimmy, um, we did lose another J, a JJ Reddick. Um, who will, so it, it was sort of like a, you know, you, you replace one with the other for, for times two, because there's two guys that are gone now and they got immediately replaced. Who will replace his equivalent better? Josh for JJ or Al for Jimmy? Oh, that's an interesting question because I think they both bring different things, but we lose different things. So I think that in terms of Josh Richardson, you you know you you lose some of that movement a little bit that JJ used to give you, but you don't have to focus. The offense isn't going to start with trying to run a dribble high handoff for JJ Redick, which I hated as a first option. But you also gain that defense yep. that obviously you, you we've all seen the video of um, Trey Young just blowing by JJ the other night in a preseason game. So you, oh, you gain some defense. But then on the opposite side, you don't have a fourth quarter killer like Jimmy Butler. But I think Al Horford is much smarter than Jimmy Butler. So from a liability standpoint, I think that replacing – J.J. Redick with Josh Richardson, I think, is the better replacement. I think, obviously, Al Horford has different strengths, and he is, you know, an all-star in his own right. But I think that the big, the bigger upgrade, I think, would be, I would say, is Josh Richardson, just because you get the shooting, you get the offense, but you also get the defense. Yeah, you make, you make, a, you make a great point. Um, it, it's so funny, because I was watching uh, – the, the, the Pelicans have been on, t- on TV – twice in this preseason already on NBA TV once with the Hawks and then last night with the Bulls. And it's so, it's so funny that now that he's not on the team anymore, it's so much easier to just see how much of a, as great as of a shooter as JJ is. And as much as he helped this team the last two years, you can't get much of a more of a liability on on the other side of the ball. I mean, he, there's, you can't, you can't, you can't think from anybody. I mean, Trey put him, it, it, it was embarrassing. He had no chance. Yes. And it's yeah. you, you have a whole liability on the other side of the ball, and it's 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 four and five with Ben on one end, it's four and five with JJ at the other end because he can't defend anything. Um, Absolutely, but you needed them both on the floor for defense on one side and for offense on the other. But then it, it flipped and it was horrible. 
Yeah. So and that's a question that I, I've had on my mind for I can't tell you how long because it's, it's it's a very it's a, it's a very tough question because they they're, they're they're different in their in, in so many ways. But at the same time, it's it's you know there's a net impact that one's going to have more than the other. Um, and so that that's just the starting lineup. Um, this this bench I think is I wasn't alive in '83. I wasn't even close to being alive in '83. Me neither. I think this is the, this is the deepest they've been since '83. I think. I would have to agree. Um, so with that, which player from the bench will play the biggest role this season? Truthfully, I think Matisse Thibel will. I think the Sixers are really excited to have somebody as a rookie who can actually make an impact right away because we haven't had that for a very long time. Um, and additionally, he's he's a lot older. He was, you know, he he played out his whole college career, so he's, you know. Ben's age instead of being you know an 18 or 19 year old kid just kind of coming out of their Mm -hmm. freshman year um and I think that he has the skill set and he worked on other skill sets to make sure he was NBA ready to be able to come off the bench and I think you know he does you know like I said Elton had an idea of exactly what he wanted and I think he fits that to a T um and I think the, the chemistry that he started to build with some of the starters, but also some of the other guys on the bench, he really has something extremely valuable that we were lacking last year in the playoffs. And we missed a guy like Robert Covington, which is, you know, shocking. No one would actually believe that people were saying that, but you were missing that disruption on defense uh, that, that Cove used to provide. And there was really no one on defense last year that could do that consistently. And I think that's a really big, important role that Matisse Thibel is going to play. And I think he really will be the most impactful player coming off the bench. I think everyone will have their different nights where they're the most impactful player. But I think pretty much consistently he will be the, the you know, overall most um, impactful player off the bench. Yeah. The other night watching that game, and I get that that team is is really not even in the same stratosphere as the Sixers in terms of talent-wise and size and athleticism. But I was – I don't think I've been as impressed with a rookie debut as I was with Matisse Thibels the other night. He, there's, there's a couple, there's one thing that'll get you playing time in the NBA immediately, and that's just the ability to just stretch out and dig down and defend on the ball and have instincts off the ball. And he was tremendous the other night um, with with that. And then he just he knew where to cut on offense, and and it, it was it was like it was watching, uh, it was like a, it was beautiful. It was I, I was so happy to see him just step in and immediately know how to play the game uh, to his strengths. But um, I think one of the most intriguing scenarios is, is that of Mike Scott, the the King of the hive uh, Mm -hmm. in in Philadelphia, because he's played a marginal role, really a a lot of his career and he's been good in that role, but they need shooting and they need size off the bench that can play three, four, five, and I, I think Mike Scott has a tremendous opportunity to, to play a, a significant role on a championship level team. And I, so, you know, I, I think he and Thibel are, are, are have a very interesting situation this season as two guys in, in different parts of their careers, but still able to be in a spot where they can be important to a good team. Um, but um, go, and then sort of, I, I guess this question can sort of, it could be bench, it can be starting, but um, which player who nobody is talking about will contribute the most to this team? Hmm, that is an interesting question. I really think that um, there there are two guys that are going to actually provide um, 
a, a little bit that people aren't talking about. I think one is Trey Burke, and I think some of the players kind of mentioned that um, a few days ago. But he's someone who, you know, I I, I talked a lot about with you know, my boyfriend and, and friends um, kind of leading up to the season is, you know, he's a guy whose name kind of kept coming back up. And, you know, there were a couple different players out there when we needed, you know, that one last little bench piece. Um, we needed a shooter coming off the bench and, you know, weren't really sure. And, you know, he was actually one who my boyfriend said all along. He was like, Trey Burke, I want Trey Burke, I want Trey Burke. And, um, you know, I think what he's shown so far, he's going to be really impactful because that's not something that the Sixers had coming off the bench in the last couple of years, especially, you know, everyone loved TJ McConnell. He was a crowd favorite, but, you know, he, he didn't really provide much offense. And that's something that obviously, you know, when, when Brett Brown went to his bench, it, the defense slacked and then the shooting wasn't there. Um, so I think he's going to play a really important role. And I think another guy is going to be James Ennis. You could kind of tell he worked on a lot this summer and worked to kind of refine the way he's playing, um, you know, play defense a little bit more crisp than he did last year. You know, he played some good defense. He was energy off the bench, but, you know, he, he's kind of refined his craft a little bit. And also, you know, looking a little bit better from, from the mid-range spot than he did last year. You know, he would take those threes and sometimes they would go in and it would be great, but looking a little bit more, you know, he's been able to work on his game offensively as well, which is, I think, really awesome from the sense of, you know, he wanted to come back here. So he wanted to come back here, was thankful that the Sixers wanted him back, and then, you know, put in the time as a veteran to make sure that he was also ready to contribute to hopefully a championship team. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting perspective um, on Trey Burke. Now, we've talked, about, you know, we've built this team up so much in, in this in this half hour we've been talking, and now it's time to address the other side which is that there there are there are undoubtedly flaws as there are with any team um what is your biggest concern with this team this season my biggest concern is staying healthy yeah and you know i only say that just because of of the unfortunate timing of injuries we've had at certain points and you know you talk about it with any of the other teams in in the city right now you know on paper they look phenomenal they look unstoppable and then that injury bug comes around and you know it 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 crushes you it crushed the phillies it's you know hurting the eagles a little bit and you know that's my biggest fear going in with the sixers um you know joel Embiid obviously took some time this summer to lose a little bit of weight and is really focusing on his health and i really hope they pay attention to a little bit of load management with him just like you know the Greg Popovich was one of the best at doing that. He always did it with, he was so great at doing it with Tim Duncan and, you know, the Raptors did it with Kawhi and, you know, it, it really does help just keep your best player fresh. So he's at his peak when playoffs come around and that's what we need from him. Um, and, you know, just the other guys being able to stay healthy, obviously Horford's a little bit older, you know, keeping him, him as healthy as he can. And, you know, just, just everyone, at least being good to go for playoffs so you have a full roster and you're not limping your way through playoffs. And then the last question for you tonight, um, what has to happen for them to win 60 or more games? And then do you think they'll break that plateau? I think Ben has to be willing to shoot. Joel has to play bully ball down, right down under the basket, and not turn the ball over when he gets double teamed. And they have to be able to move the ball consistently and play good defense. And I do think they're going to – I think the East is not very good this year. 
Um, but I do think they're going to be able to break that 60 game bear, the 60 win barrier. That's good because like, like, like this, like the rest of the city is with, with the Eagles. For me, it's my emotional swings are with the Sixers. So if they're, if they're winning 60 games, I think I'm going to be happy a lot of the time this year. Um, Jessica, I want people to be able to find your work and, and, and hear what you and Rob and Sam do. So where can people find you? So people can find me on Twitter um, at runthistown with an E, uh, 13. And you can also find all of my work, podcasts, writing, everything on my website, jessicatownmedia.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show, Jessica. It was great to have you. Absolutely. Thanks you so much for having me again. It was great to have Jessica Town on this show to kick off the season. Uh, the Sixers will be back in preseason action tomorrow in Winston-Salem against the Charlotte Hornets. It will be played at Wake Forest's gymnasium. Um, a quick word from our advertisers. Uh, do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hold in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K. For a 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTTHECOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2019. Again, thanks to Jessica Town for uh, kicking off the new season on, of the, um, on, on this show. It was great to have her, a great discussion. And we'll be back, uh, hopefully, if, if, I, if, if, the, if I can get the game on TV and watch it, we'll be back tomorrow with a post-game show. Uh, after they play the Hornets in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, But as always, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time.